Welcome to the Job Shop Show, where we talk with the owners, suppliers, partners, and customers of custom manufacturers. Listen and learn the secrets of top-performing job shops, the tools, techniques, and backgrounds that have made them successful, all on the quest of raising the bar for custom manufacturing. I'm your host, Jay Jacobs. This episode is sponsored by Paperless Parts, connecting buyers and suppliers of custom manufactured parts. The Paperless Platform is a secure, ITAR-compliant, cloud-based manufacturing system for suppliers that reduces the amount of time spent on sales, estimating, quoting, administration, and order processing. It offers seamless integration with the accounting and ERP software tools that shops already use, such as QuickBooks, E2, and JobBoss. Paperless Parts was founded with a mission to make manufacturing more accessible by streamlining the quote-to-cash process. Spend less time quoting and more time selling. This episode is sponsored by our friends at the NTMA, the National Tooling and Machining Association. The NTMA is an association of privately held, entrepreneurial-based, and family-owned businesses, representing nearly 1,200 small to mid-sized machine shops and tool and die shops across the country. They have approximately 30 very active regional chapters that host local events, run apprenticeship programs, and provide other services to their regional members. As an association of peers, the goal of the NTMA is to help members of the U.S. precision custom manufacturing industry achieve profitable growth and business success in a global economy through networking, workforce development and training, technology, best practices education, advocacy, programs, and services with industry partners. To learn how your company can get involved with the NTMA, including how to join, visit ntma.org. Shazam! The Job Shop Show is on fire today. Your host, Jay Jacobs, with a very exciting guest, Roger Atkins. Roger is the president of the NTMA, which stands for National Tooling and Machining Association. Haven't heard of the NTMA? We will fill you in on how Roger and his team are supporting U.S. small and medium-sized custom part manufacturers in the quest to not only survive in today's tough times, but to actually thrive. There are well over a thousand members and combined annual revenue is over 35 billion. That is a lot of parts shipped from the members. And what I think is cool is that it's just not a national organization. There are 30 local chapters, which in normal times, get the owners face-to-face to share best practices, talk with a peer about stuff that you can't always talk to others in your shop. And in general, you get to develop the bonds that allow trusted business to happen between shops. They become friendly competitors, and Roger will probably talk a little bit about that. And a little bit about Roger. Besides being annoyingly good-looking, what is special about Roger is that he's one of us. He started helping in a family shop when he was 10, and until he accepted the role of president of the NTMA early this year, he has spent almost his entire career in metalworking. At one shop, he was part of the management team that grew from low eight figures revenue to over nine figures in revenue during the time he was there. Guy who's gotten his hands dirty, worked in a variety of operational roles, and found his true love in sales and marketing. Welcome to the Job Shop Show, Roger. Hey, good afternoon, Jay. Glad to be here. So let's just start off with the basic. Who is the NTMA? 
Hey, that's a great question. Uh, you know, NTMA is, Jay, is an association of privately held, entrepreneurial based and family owned businesses in the precision machining, custom part manufacturing industry. Uh, like you said, we have mm -hmm. about 1,200 members across the United States with 30 chapters. And so those, those of our members that aren't close to a chapter, they're at large members and they get the same services that our chapter based members mm -hmm. get as well. But, uh, you know, it's, it's, again, it's, uh, it's small to medium sized businesses across the U S and as we're known, you know, we're the, we're the backbone of U S manufacturing and NTMA is truly small businesses who make up the backbone of, of U S manufacturing in the United States. And the NTMA has been around for a long time. Do you know when it got started? It's been around. We, we uh, celebrated our 75th year three years ago. So we're around 78 years, Jay. Yeah. I know you had shared with me before the podcast, you got involved in 74 and we'll, we'll talk about that. But before we get into the nitty gritty of all the things that the NTMA is doing, which is quite a bit, let's just stop back and, I want to make sure that the listener understands that you are one of us and that you really bring credibility to the NTMAs. So you are a parts guy, manufacturing guy. How did that start? Well, Jay, uh, I may not have had a choice. I was born into the industry. Uh, my dad <laughs> had a small manufacturing shop, you know, so I grew up with my dad owning a shop. You know, we went in there as kids and worked on mini bikes and go-karts, you know, from being mm -hmm. kids to, to growing up. And my dad's philosophy was always, he, he, we did not have to go and run his business and take over his business, but he always felt that we owed him a couple of summers that we would learn the business and make sure we knew what he did in, in case we were interested. Mm -hmm. I, was the, I was the youngest of three, of three boys, and, and, um, and two of us went into the business, and um, one went more on the, uh, was actually went into the machining side of it. And mm -hmm. as you say, I grew up in the shop from, from sales. Uh, I mean, from uh, shipping and receiving to quality, to scheduling, to running the shop procurement. But my heart always was drawn to the customer and uh, sales and marketing side of the business. And that's where eventually after years of working in the shop and running the shop being shop, shop foreman, and mm -hmm. I, I moved into sales and marketing, and that's pretty much where my career continued from that point in time. When you got out of college, you joined back up with your dad in the shop, correct? That's correct. Yeah, I graduated from college and uh, went to work for my dad. And, I, and so at that point in time, uh, we started our, our time together, and I, work, I worked with him for 11 years. That must have been some good times working had, with it. I mean, maybe not all, maybe not all the time at the time, but you look back now, I'm sure there's a lot of good memories. If we'd have wrote the book, we would have lived happily ever after. Yeah. And then, and this is in the Houston area? That's correct. Yeah. And you went to work for another shop and at some point you got involved in acquisitions with a company, Best Access, is that that's correct, like the right. out of Indianapolis. Why, why would you want to get out of the metalworking business and get into something so different? Well, it, it was, um, 
<laughs> That's a good question. I, it's one of those deals. Uh, I was not looking for a job. I had a friend of mine who was growing a company in Indianapolis, Best, Best Access Systems, but they were actually had a they, big manufacturing plant. They had a 650 man shop making oh, wow. uh, a door uh, hardware for the mm -hmm. electronic access and manual lock and door uh, business. And so, uh, whereas I didn't totally get away from manufacturing, but they needed someone to help in buying entrepreneurial based businesses. And, um, honestly, he just made me an offer that I couldn't refuse. And, um, we went up there and, and what I went into was mergers and acquisitions, buying small to medium sized, you know, privately held companies. And, um, what I didn't realize, uh, you know, the Lord works in mysterious ways. I didn't realize what I was learning would, uh, would pay dividends for me just a, a, a few years later when I got back into manufacturing, being able to use that skill set of buying companies, how to uh, create value in companies that I learned in that in that short tenure of my career, I was able to bring into the manufacturing side and help uh, my next opportunity with buying companies and starting companies really around the globe. We had a couple international facilities that we started. And I really learned that expertise from that short tenure that I got out of the direct manufacturing industry. So when you were looking at companies to buy, what were things that you saw that shops or operations didn't do well that made you shy away from them? Really, I would say the big thing was a management team. How could their management team, uh, was it set to grow? Did they have a management team that would stay? Hmm. Um, were, were there, in a lot of cases, you would find that an owner had grown his business as far as he could grow it with his team, not necessarily just financially, just their capability of, uh, they've grown it as far as they could. They've sure. hit a ceiling and they don't know how to break through it. And so, you know, our concern was always, did they have a management team that we could, um, that we could grow with? We did not have a big bullpen of people, uh, you know, in our own operation to go put in somewhere where you'd say, hey, we're gonna, we're gonna wipe out this management team and put a new team in. So we were very dependent on the management team that was in place. And so that was a key point to us, as well as what their company cultures were. Um, you know, I always say this, uh, every company has their own DNA. And when you buy a company or go into a company, most likely you're never going to change their DNA. You know, we all have the goal to change mm. it for them to be like us, but it, it, every company has their own DNA and it's almost impossible to change that. So you better know uh, when you're connecting with someone either way on the buy-in or the sell-in, you better, you better make sure that your DNA is really close together. And we, we call that culture sometimes, but it's really sometimes a little deeper than that. That makes a lot of sense. And particularly, I would assume that these shops weren't always geographically located near the company who was acquiring. Yeah, right. we, we, we bought companies all over the U.S. and then uh, and looked at international sites. And we wound up sort of buying international sites. We actually started them from Greenfield sites. For that reason, the culture was too different for us to try to, to buy an international company and change the culture or mesh think, with the culture. Yeah, I think a lot of people, when they hear the term mergers and acquisitions, think of slash and burn and there's going to be layoffs and it, 
nothing's good going to come of it. But what I'm hearing is that the company you worked for wanted to grow and you needed specialty skills, capacity, and with a management team that was topped out, that wasn't going to allow for you. You, you needed these companies to be successful and grow for the acquisition to be successful. Jay, that's correct. You, you know, and, and believe me, I've, I've heard that, that comment a lot of times from people that we were acquiring and, you know, and, and like, like I always told them, they had more reason not to believe me than they had to believe me that we mm -hmm. needed their management teams in place because I would say there's more examples of management teams getting wiped out and taken out and new people being put in you know, their positions. But again, that wasn't our philosophy. Our philosophy was to buy and enhance companies, not buy and take over these companies. We wanted to give them the back office support, but the reality was we needed their expertise, their skill set, their connection with their customers. And we wanted to come in there and enhance, enhance them financially, best practices, those mm -hmm. kind of things. And a lot of those things that, that we were trying to enhance were things that really NTMA helped support us with, frankly. Um, you know, the things we've learned through NTMA and working with our peers and, and talking to your peers who, who bought companies, who have, you know, both the, the good, the bad, the ugly stories of buying companies. Right. You know, learning from those things were very helpful to me, you know, having peers in NTMA that when I run into problems, I had places to go for some answers. Could you share a little bit about the MIC group and jump into that a little more deeply because that's such a success story. And I know that the MTMA and the skills that you learned there were, were part of that. Give us a, as a listener, a little bit of a, really the, the scope of the success there. Jay, I, I went to work for MIC here in Texas and, um, and they're, 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 we were owned by a, a, a gentleman that had wanted to grow. And so that was the exciting thing about it was he had the vision and the desire to grow. And he, he gave us the mantra to grow the business. And um, what type so of business? It was in precision machining mm -hmm. in, in, in custom part manufacturing. And, um, what, you know, again, at that time, when I come from having come out of the acquisition business and having acquired some companies, it really gave me some great experience uh, to go into a company to start growing the company. And, um, and again, we grew the company. When I went there, we did 22 million the first year. And uh, in seven years, we grew the company to 156 million. And we went from uh, having two sites to having six sites or five sites. And wow. that, in, that included uh, a couple international sites. And, and, you know, again, what I learned through that was, and what I did was when I first got there, I had them join NTMA, number one. When I got to MIC, <laughs> they were not a member. And I said, we have to be a member of NTMA because this is where we can get so much support, knowledge, information, technology, introductions to tooling and, 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 and automation. And I said, these are the guys that can help us the fastest way to get to that information. So we joined NTMA um, when we were 22 million, which is exciting. And the mm -hmm. thing that we used a lot of that information, a lot of that help and connections and networking to grow the company. But again, we were buying, you know, uh, privately held entrepreneurial based businesses, you know, mostly of guys uh, 
uh, who had grown the companies as far as they could grow them. In a mm -hmm. couple of cases, in one case, we had sort of a health-related issue needing to exit the company. And, you know, one thing when you buy these companies, everybody worries more about their employees than they do themselves as the owner. And right. uh, they were really worried about these people who had committed so much of their time and effort for their success. And so most of them really worked to protect their employees. And, you know, those were the kind of people we wanted to connect with because we were looking to protect their employees. We, we were looking for increased capacity. We needed the expertise. And so it was a good match between us and them with our philosophy matching much of their philosophies. Yeah. And so, uh, you know, we were, we really went on a, a really good run and, and had some great successes. I, I worked with a gentleman, he was, uh, really strong on the financial side. I was really strong on the sales and marketing side. And so mm -hmm. when we worked together, we really were able to, to uh, get the complete picture of a company. And I think because we were so opposite, that really grew to our success together. And um, we always laughed. We didn't need any two of one of us. We needed both of us. Right. And, and that was really what made us a strong team. And um, I look back at that and that was, that was, one of the things I was really grateful for was to have a team, uh, a teammate like that, that we could be a part of growing a company like that. And in chatting with you again before the podcast, it seems that your vision for the NTMA is to be a team member for the member companies. And you got involved almost right away, didn't you, when, when you joined your dad's company full time? Yeah, Jay. Uh, my dad. Well, my dad would always tell you that he was a good uh, machinist. He was not a good businessman when he started his business. He started it because he knew how to make parts. Mm -hmm. And and uh, and he went to his grave telling you that it was NTMA that taught him how to run and grow a business. He mm -hmm. said, "I knew how to make parts, but I didn't know how to run a business." Mm -hmm. And he said, "It was my NTMA, it being part of NTMA, and my NTMA peers that helped me." run a successful business and learn how to run a business. He said, I could make the parts, but they taught me that. So he joined in 1969. Then I went to work for my dad in 1979. And um, of course I started in the shop and within the first month, he come out to the shop and he said, okay, I need you to bring your nice clothes on Wednesday night of this week, because I'm taking you to a meeting. And um, I'll never forget. Um, <laughs> <laughs> just how, how clear it is to me. We were, we were on Wayside Drive going to the Helena Hotel in Houston, Texas. And mm -hmm. on that way, he told me, he said, son, I'm going to introduce you to some people tonight that will teach you more about manufacturing and more about running the business than I'll ever be able to teach you. Hmm. I'll never forget that because you know what? That's held true for my entire career. What I've learned in manufacturing, the things I've experienced, the, the network of people I've connected with, uh, what success I've had in my career, I owe a lot to those people who have been there along the way to help me. It's also, though, what you make of it yourself. And you got involved locally on the board pretty quickly, didn't you? Yeah, I did. I, uh, you know, I joined in 1979. I became, you know, I was the chapter president in Houston in 1985, went on to be on, you know, multiple boards you know, and these were with my local competitors and peers in the Houston area. And then we, um, then I got could, on. A could you just talk about, I know that 
myself way back, I had a fear that these guys were my competitors and I didn't want to open up and share because I might lose business. But I learned over the years, that's not true. What, how did you find the relationship with the other members? No, part of NTMA's bylaws and, and, um, code of ethics is that we respect each other's companies. We respect each other's customers and we respect each other's employees. Mm. And it's, it's a commitment we make to each other and realizing that together we're stronger than we are by ourselves. I can't tell you how many times we got into larger projects than we could do. And we were able to utilize our trusted industry partners who were our friendly competitors and being able to complete projects without worrying about them taking our customers or taking our people. And by being a part of the association, it was a commitment we all made that we would respect each other on that. And uh, I, I'll give you an example. I had a company in Florida one time call me because my shop foreman was, um, was interviewed, was had sent in a resume to their company and they wanted to know if it was okay for them to interview them or not. They had enough respect for me from Florida to Texas to call me. And, um, you know, and I appreciated that, which I gave them full blown access to to that person, you know, just appreciating the call, but that's the kind of respect and that we give each other as members of uh, fellow members of NTMA. And so, you know, it's something that I would say more people have gotten more work from each other than we've ever had problems with each other. And, uh, and well, we with thirty with up. thirty-five billion in revenue between all the shops, that's a lot of work to potentially trade back and forth with one another. Yeah, and the idea that how many times do we as shop owners get opportunities that have one part of it that's mm-hmm. not in our yeah. expertise or is a little bigger than we can do, is a bigger needs a bigger lathe than we have or a bigger mill than we have, and it's just one operation, you know versus giving up that opportunity, we can take it and partner with industry partners. And, you know, really there's nobody better to, you know, partner with than people who have, who have committed to the same uh, code ethics you have to respect each other's companies, customers, and employees. How did you get involved in the national part of the NTMA Jay, I don't know where I made that mistake, but along the way, I, I, met, a lot, <laughs> I met a lot of people. You know, it's, it was through networking and going. We have about we have two to three na- uh, events a year where we come together and and network and and have speakers and on technology and stuff. And I just met these people through the years. And, and these um, are national events, right? Th- these are national events, and. Um, so you, you'd have, you know, anywhere from two to 300 of your peers come together for three to four days. And, mm-hmm. and, um, and so I just developed a network of knowing the people and lo and behold, got involved on the national level. And then all of a sudden you find yourself being asked, would you be willing to serve on the national board? So in, in 2009, I was asked to, to come on to the national board, mm-hmm. uh, which I did. And then lo and behold, in 2012, I served as chairman of the board. Uh, of the association and, and that's uh, not a full-time role is it <laughs> well I, I mean tech, tech, technically it's not <laughs> it is definitely another job but uh, you know my day job it's my day job then my night job doing my real work but uh, right. It, right it's it's it, it's um, a lot of um, 
a lot of time and energy, but it's put, you know, the neat thing is, Jay, it's put back into the industry that we all serve. You know, if we don't give back to the industry we serve, we will lose our industry. If we don't help our friendly competitors and small and medium-sized businesses, we'll be no more. You know, my, my mantra is we're stronger together. And, uh, and, you know, lo and behold, I would have never dreamed that I would sit here today and talk to you as president of NTMA. Right. Uh, you know, it just, uh, as I told somebody, it's, it's not in my wildest dream would have ever come up with this, but maybe if I would ever had a wild dream, maybe it would have been president of NTMA. <laughs> but lo and behold, I find myself serving that today, which is a great thrill, a great honor, and it's very humbling to be a leading an association of your industry peers, of your lifelong industry peers. Well, let me ask you, because you pretty much have lived in Houston all your life, maybe when the uh, at best access you weren't there, but you, as part of taking this position are moving to Ohio, and that's a huge change. So there's gotta be something that's driving you, some vision that you want to implement and push the NTMA further. What, 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 what was the, some of the reasons that you, you said yes. <laughs> My wife's still asking me that question, but um, <laughs> no, the, ra the reality is, Jay, it, it, when, when I bought these companies and I worked at some companies, I saw um, companies being ran by out-of-state presidents. And you see that a lot in mergers and acquisitions today. Mm -hmm. Somebody flies in on Monday, fly out on Friday, and what you, and I've seen it in my career, there's little to no commitment to the local community really to the local employees. It's, it's difficult to connect on that basis. And I made a commitment that if I was hired as president of NTMA, that I would not be a long distance president, that I would go to our national headquarters in Cleveland, mm -hmm. Ohio, and work with our staff there on a daily basis to serve our 1200 members across the United States. And so, um, we would probably already be in Ohio today if it wasn't for the, the current pandemic that is, um, you know, sort of uh, right. put our move on hold until we can, you know, the, the uh, travel uh, restrictions get a little um, softened up or, or, you know, are eased up. And so uh, currently I'm working out of my Texas uh, home and, and home office and our staff in Cleveland is also working out of their, their uh, homes in the Cleveland area. Let's, get into more of what the NTMA does. And I'm just gonna open it up to you, let you, there's there's so many different things that you could get lost in trying to describe the NTMA from the particular program or resource that it offers, but go ahead to just share, share everything that you think is important for a shop owner to know about the NTMA and what it offers to members. Well, I would just I would just start with you know what my goal as president was, Jay, and coming aboard, and that is is that NTMA will 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 be the driver to to lead us through, lead our members through the disruptions of the industry, mm -hmm. and you know it's hard enough to run a business today on a daily basis. And just watch what you're making and you're meeting your customer's demand 
And then also dealing with the unplanned disruptions of industry. And so my goal for NTMA is that we will be the, the one that the, the big barge that goes out in front and busts through the waves of disruption of our industry for our members stay focused on their daily businesses. And, um, you know, of course that was a great plan, but you know, little did I realize two and a half months into the job that we would hit the largest pandemic in our, our nation's, you right. know, has ever faced in recent years. And now we're dealing with just how do we survive the midst of, of immediately changing times, literally overnight. And mm -hmm. so today I would say one of the greatest values for NTMA members today is because we're putting, we're putting out information, industry specific, manufacturing specific, small to medium size specific information to our members every day by state, by local communities, informing them of what's going on in the government, the government changes that are coming out daily. We're keeping mm -hmm. our members updated on a daily basis. And as we all know, we're all getting inundated daily with emails about the virus. And you know, which ones you read, which ones with you that you don't read. And I right. can tell an NT, I can look an NTMA member in the face or any small to medium sized you know precision manufacturer and say you can come here to this website for vetted out information specifically directed at your business. But I would say you know right now that's a tremendous value. And um, but you know we have like I told you we have two to three national meetings every year. And, you know, regardless of the speakers, regardless of the technology that we bring in and the, and, and cybersecurity and the different issues we all face on a daily basis. The interesting point is in every survey, after every meeting we do, the number one valued um, part of that meeting is networking with my industry peers. Mm -hmm. we, can't, we can't get a speaker or a subject matter that outpaces the fact that people value being with with your networking with your industry peers, and as always, and I as, as I always say, you know, when you run a small to medium sized you know precision manufacturing company, when you want to talk shop, it's really hard to find somebody you can talk shop with. I don't care if it's your brother, your next door neighbor, or right. your best friend. It's hard to, if they don't understand the precision manufacturing world that we all serve, it's hard for them to even have a conversation with you or, or for you to be able to go to them for advice and share your problems and for them to understand it. The need, and so I think that's why networking goes to the top of the list. You can come for, you know, three to five, three to four days and, and everybody there can talk shop talk with you. They can talk with your problem. Mm -hmm. As I share with people, there's no problem that hasn't been, been solved already there's no challenge that somebody hasn't already dealt with and if you'll mm -hmm. just share what your problems are you're going to go home with answers instead of going through by going it alone you're trying to figure all these things out it you know over time in most cases here i would say and if it's not at a meeting you can pick up members from around the united states and ask them questions that is so important because we tend to get myopic if we never travel out of our region and I have had the been able to travel all over the country and in New England there's not a lot of room for new construction but I'm down in Texas and I'm just blown away with what's going on same thing if I'm in Florida and some of the other parts of the country it's important 
because beyond your own region, there's different mindsets, there's different ways of doing businesses. For example, East Coast shows, for whatever reason, are a lot less women and minorities at the shows than if you go to LA. And I had the pleasure of being at a chapter leadership summit in Orlando in January, where we got a chance to meet. And I was really happy to see the number of women who were participating at the national level. And everyone knew each other. There were so many conversations. I felt like an outsider. But by the time I left, I had had some really good conversations and, and gotten to know a couple folks really well. And I could see that that over time, you make the commitment that's really going to extend. This, some other things that we definitely want to cover on the national level, but just jumping into the local chapters, because that's where the meetings start, where you, where you develop the friendships and rapport locally. How often typically do the local chapters meet? You know, Jay, that it's it's really chapter dependent. Uh, some of them meet monthly. You know, maybe taking off. Uh, you know, a a month in the summer and maybe you know around the holiday. And then some of them, uh, some of them meet every other month. And some mm -hmm. will meet quarterly. And, and so it's really chapter specific. But a chapter will range anywhere from fifteen to probably fifty companies in the local area that people can drive to. Their meetings, their meetings tend to be, you know, many, many uh, chasms of what a, a larger event would be. Somebody who bring a speaker in that would be industry specific on a, mm -hmm. you know, a topic. Normally, you know, have a dinner, you know, some kind of dinner or breakfast meal or lunch shop meal, tours. and then have a speaker. Are shop tours part of the uh, meeting sometimes? They're, they're, occasionally, they are. Sometimes a. a uh, a chapter meeting may be meeting at someone's shop and, and somebody opening their shop and having the dinner at a shop and touring mm -hmm. somebody's shop. We do, that happens on a regular basis as well on the national level. When we have our national meetings, we had one recently in Cleveland. We went and visited two different shops in, mm -hmm. in the Cleveland area while we were there. And these, these, are, these are men and women that completely open their companies and let us walk through and tour their entire facility covering nothing up that we mm -hmm. wouldn't see and, you know, trusting again, you're trusting your industry peers, letting them in, you know, more or less letting them into your house and touring your home. I remember at rapid, we typically would have an open house once a year in the summertime. And we, it truly was an open house. Our competitors thought that they had to be sneaky in coming in and we actually welcomed them because we knew that we would be stronger as a group if they learned and they excelled because, you know, face it, team members move from company to company and there's people who are working at other shops are going to come to my shop and vice versa. So it also, I thought, was a good way to push myself and my team in that let's say they were going to copy everything that they saw in our shop which of course they're not going to and even they, they don't understand but but even if they did it it forced 
a way of thinking that we have to be better. So by the time somebody would implement what we're doing, we would be so far ahead that it wouldn't matter. And I really like that mentality. Yeah, Jay, I would say, I always, I always told uh, shops this, that, you know, we, whatever you have in your shop or one person has in their shop, somebody with enough money could go duplicate every, every machine, every part of your company and start it right across the street. So what separates us from our competitors? It's our people right. that separate us from our competitors. It's not our equipment in some cases, but again, people could duplicate your equipment, but they mm -hmm. can't, but what, our competitive advantage, well, both with each other and, and internationally, is our people. I totally agree. Back to the NTMA at a national level, you offer so many ways to support the members in programs and resources. What are some of the ones that perhaps you have used or your favorites that are out there? Jay, we have we have what we call national associate members, and and that's a key portion of us. These are big machine tool dealers. Uh, these are the big tooling people. Um, we're on first name basis with these people. Um, I mean, where they come to our meetings, and 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 a small, medium sized business is on the first name basis with the president of a major machine tool dealer uh, nice. in, in the United States. Where are you going to get access to things like that? Right. Um, we we obviously you know we were talking about NTMA being founded. NTMA was founded some you know almost eighty years ago around workforce development, and that's what brought these men during that day together was the need for a work for a trained workforce. You'd think we would have outgrown that, but here today we find ourselves in the same scenario that they started NTMA about. So our, we're heavily focused on on a on a trained workforce. We have online training, uh, especially right now where you, you know, we're seeing schools and trade centers that can't go to school, the ability to do, uh, uh, you know, training online. Um, we have training, uh, we have uh, exposure down into the high school and junior high level with what we call the NRL, which is the National Robotic League. It allows students to put together battle and robots our industry partners like Mastercam and SolidWorks give these schools free seats of, of their software to be able to design their robots, assemble their robots, and then we give them opportunities to compete. Uh, you know, high schools against each other. You, you know, you talk about uh, red and yellow, black and white. There's every color kid. There's every, <laughs> there's every gender kid at these events, and it's so cool to watch these young people work together as a team and you know bringing that environment into a shop if somebody brings a team environment the hands-on environment you can teach them the rest but if they don't have those skill sets it's hard to take them but you know i've gone to these events and and without even interviewing half these kids i would tell you i would take them in our in my <laughs> shop today just because of their work ethic on working on a robotic and a, a robot and working with a team and everybody knowing their job and everybody doing their job you'd think the teams would fight over who's going to control the, 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 the joystick for the robot. That's actually the last <laughs> thing they fight about. You know, everybody knows their job. And so it's pretty exciting. So those are things we do to try to draw younger people into the industry. And we're really convincing parents. We're really not convincing kids. 
It's, you know, that somebody, a parent would be proud of their son and daughter for going into a manufacturing career, whether that be from a machinist to a designer, to an engineer, to, to, to whatever role within manufacturing. And, and, um, and the networking obviously is, is key uh, with your peers. And then, you know, we, we, we have an advocacy piece. Sometimes we, you know, that's the, you know, the last thing you really want to be a part of is advocating, but I am so thankful today in the midst of our, of this crisis we're in, we have somebody advocating for small to medium sized businesses on stimulus bills that get down to help us at this level of business. And we've really had an, in, our, our team in Washington DC has truly had an influence on getting the support for small to medium sized manufacturers across the United States. How do you do that in DC? I think that you have partnered with the Precision Metal Forming Association and you have a organization, yeah, we, One we, Voice. Yeah, we both, uh, we, we have a, 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 we work with Franklin Partnership out of Washington and Bracewell Policy Resolution Group. And they represent in us Washington and they, they represent small to medium sized manufacturers. So okay. What, so what NTMA did is we joined with uh, PMA, which is the Precision Metal Forming Association, and and we joined our forces and used the same people because we're advocating for the same support. We're advocating for small to medium-sized businesses, and so together we've created a, a team that's called One Voice. And then all of a sudden, due to this crisis, overnight we created a one a One Voice info info dot org website and this is this is a website that was created strictly to give updated daily updated information on the coronavirus as related to small to medium-sized businesses and that's updated in some cases multiple times a day but at least one time daily that's a super way as an owner to as you said before not have to be looking at all the emails coming in, all the websites, the NTMA is filtering it for you. Right. It is overwhelming. It, it, it's just overwhelming the amount of information, you know, with all the best intent coming to you, but to have a one place, uh, uh, one place to go for, for information that affects your business, specifically designed for your business, to me is priceless. And, and they're sort of an unsung hero most of the time, our advocacy arm is. But I yeah. tell you, today, I'm so grateful for their expertise in helping us, you know, forge through this major disruption to our companies and our industry. And they're making sure that the small and medium-sized businesses beyond metalworking are getting heard in the administration and in Congress as they're crafting the legislation to support us. We want to make sure it's not just all for the large companies. And in many cases, we have, uh, we have the Wall Street Journal, we have the Washington Post, we have a bunch of different national publications that are coming to NTMA for interviews with small to medium-sized businesses to interview what's really going on in the small to medium-sized businesses. We just had uh, we just had two interviews, one one yesterday and one today, with mm -hmm. with some of our uh, some of our small members on uh, on the SBA loan program that's just it's just been rolled out. Right. Uh, we we've had some about workforce development, getting you know the need for a workforce. We had an 18 man shop in Colorado Springs that was 
written up in the Wall Street Journal because he needed people. I, I called and followed up with him <laughs> and asked him how it went. And he said, you know, it's interesting. He said, we got written up. And he said, I got two unsolicited res uh, resumes from that article in the Wall Street on my 18-person company here in Colorado Springs. And so we do, you know, little small to medium-sized shops are getting national exposure. And not so much the national exposure, but getting our message out to the nation of the right. important role and the importance of support for the small to medium-sized business. And again, to me, the value of being a part of NTMA, because if you're a, a small to medium-sized manufacturer and you're, going a, and you're going it alone today, you're not getting that exposure. You're, you're having to look for the disruptions all the while running your business. I want NTMA to be the association you can be a part of that takes care of the disruptions or leads you through the disruptions and you run your business. It's hard enough to run a business today just with the daily challenge, the normal daily challenges, much less trying to run it with national challenges that we're facing today. So thinking of the slowdown and the shelter in place, the social distancing, some shops being classified essential, others perhaps not. How have you seen shops handle social distancing and working at home in particular? Do you think we're well equipped to do that? Well, I think we've learned quickly, Jay. I don't, I don't think anybody would say they were prepared for it. I don't think anybody said they would have even given it a thought a month ago. Mm -hmm. But um, I would say that you know, I'm, I'm making just an offhand comment, but I would say the majority of our members have been deemed essential, uh, essential businesses and are serving some critical part of our, of our nation's, uh, you know, products. And so I would say the majority of our members have, have uh, meet that essential business um, uh, threshold and are opening. I know uh, people have, are, are now much more, uh, they've rotated uh, shifts to keep so many people from being in at one time. They're being mm -hmm. more specific about where machine, you know, distance between machines. Right. Maybe we won't run this machine on this shift, but we'll run it on the next shift. So there's a lot of social distancing being done, you know, in within the shop. Cleaning, obviously, uh, and wiping down has become essential in our companies. And, and I'm really, I mean, our, our you know, as an owner, um, sometimes as a stockholder, you don't realize it all, but, but when you're an owner of a small business, that, that, as I said earlier, that's your home. Right. And it's, it's imperative that you do everything you can to protect your employees. And so, you know, from a safety factor, I think our members are putting every safety factor they can within their businesses, um, first for their people and second for their business. Um, and so I think people have responded very quickly and, um, and very sensibly to, uh, to trying to deal with the, the exceptions or, or, or the challenges that have been faced under the restrictions and guidelines and which have been fantastic guidelines. There's no doubt that, you know, some of the guidelines put in place have uh, really are helping, you know, in this situation mm -hmm. of, of the virus spread. And so uh, I think our members are doing a great job and we talk to them, uh, we talk to them daily. We, uh, we send them updates daily. And it's so nice to get somebody said, man, thanks so much for this information. This mm -hmm. is so helpful to me. It's somebody that's already vetted it out and, 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 and they don't have to spend time reading something. They really 
know little to nothing about. This relates to all shops in general, but do you think the slowness to adopt modern software tools, such as the software as a service cloud-based tools has handicapped some shops? And I ask that in the context of what I'm hearing is that some team members just don't wanna come in to work and particularly folks who are not running machines who could be working right. from home. And also that there are team members who don't even have a computer at home, even if they wanted to work from home. Yeah. What do we need to do as manufacturers to think about that? Do we, is, that a, is that a mindset shift that we have to start making? Yeah, I, I think it's sort of a general, general, uh, a generational mindset, Jay, in, in, in manufacturing, you know, for small to medium sized businesses. Mm -hmm. um, and so, you know, I would first go to your deal. You know, when I talked about social distancing, I know for a fact that a lot of people on non-essential people within their companies are allowing them to work at home and are allowing them not to come to work, mm -hmm. uh, you know, trying to respect uh, really who's essential and what equipment's essential within their business. So I think people are uh, d doing their best to respect uh, those kind of restrictions within their own companies. And I, I think at the end of the day, we're going to have learned a lot through this. I think we're going to have learned a lot about the value of automation. I think we're going to find out a, a lot about, you know, um, higher level technologies within our companies. And I think that's going to include, um, uh, software. I think it's going to include AI. You know, how do we, how do we, how does a small to medium sized business get industry 4.0 into their businesses? Mm -hmm. how, how are you going to start adopting it? Because reality is we probably, you could probably run a lot of businesses without adopting any of these things in yesterday's world. But the interesting part to me is when this is sort of died down and we, and we go, what is the new normal going to look like? And I believe there is going to be a new normal of what just daily life is to some degree. And I think in our businesses, we got to look at what is the new normal within our businesses. And it may be, I think the degree of automation lights out manufacturing, you know, uh, software is going to play a huge role into preparing people for the future challenges well, that, you know, unplanned challenges like we face today. I was mulling over this because Rapid was very highly automated. We had a lot of software. I had six software developers on staff, as well as another half dozen IT folks, different from the software developers. And thinking about it, we weren't set up to allow a lot of people to run from home. We did not have cloud-based tools. And I think about there's so many different programs out there today touching different aspects of your business that a Chrome laptop for several hundred dollars, uh, well, here's some examples. Microsoft Office 365, almost everybody uses Word and Excel and the other programs. That can all be done on the web and you can access it at work and you can access it at home from different computers. You don't have to worry that it's on your hard drive at work and you can't get it anymore. The 
financial software, QuickBooks. You can, there's an online version. I'm not really fond of that. I don't think it works real well, but there's a company called Right Networks where you just log in and you can run your desktop version of QuickBooks. And it's just like you're running it on your computer at work and you can run, run it that way at work or at home again. And CAD and CAM, SolidWorks hasn't moved to being online yet, but there are other CAD software programs out there. Autodesk has a product. There's Onshape that was just bought by PTC. And I'm actually hearing the on the CAM side, I love MasterCAM, but Fusion 360 from Autodesk is getting traction because it's cloud-based. And I will throw the caveat out that I am a co-founder of Paperless Parts and therefore not disinterested in this, but we specifically have developed estimating software that runs on the cloud. And one of our first customers was so happy because he was quoting on vacation away from the shop. He hadn't taken a vacation, I think in over 10 years. And we've also created some communication tools or that are centered around 3D geometry. So someone could be at home and someone in the shop could have a question, highlight some information on the 3D geometry and you don't lose any time. So all these cloud-based tools, I would be really rethinking how the basic functions of Rapid worked right now if I was still own that. There's so many opportunities and I probably wouldn't have needed as many IT people. <laughs> so. I, I do think what you bring up is, um, is critical, Jay. And, and I just think it's a change of the norm, the, you know, how we've always done it. You know, it's always mm -hmm. been done this way mentality, you know, the norm of how to run a business or how do you run a business? Everybody comes to work every day. You know, mm -hmm. we all have an office, uh, you know, I just believe today that the, the new education is going to be educating how do we work in a different environment? How do we work from home? How do we allow, um, you know, those, you know, how do we allow software to enhance us? Which, you know, which I think is really going to be the key. And I think this probably does um, disrupt some folks is the cyber, the cyber side of that that comes with a lot of the, um, you know, online stuff, you know, which cyber is becoming, you know, a greater and greater uh, threat to, you know, so much is being put online, even talking about Zoom, Zoom meetings that the new cyber attack is on Zoom because they know so many people is being, are being drive, uh, driven to virtual meetings and Zoom being one of the big users of, of virtual meeting access. So I do think, you know, we're going to see that go hand in hand as we enhance the software and the online capabilities, I think we're going to see also the development of, of greater cyber uh, security and being able to do that. And, you know, even our government, when you're working on government, you know, related things, there's more and more restrictions being placed on companies, uh, even on small businesses. And this is where mm -hmm. it makes it, you know, really crippling on a small business to have to implement such uh, onerous type uh, cyber security um, uh, protection when you're a small business, those kind of expenses can almost prohibit you from dealing in certain markets. 
And if the program runs on the cloud and the data is stored on the cloud, that is taken care of for you. And it just makes me think of even beyond the cybersecurity of people stealing information, there are so many examples of companies paying a ransom because right. their computers are locked out. Again, if you have your data, the bulk of it running on the cloud, then it's not as critical for you. And it still sucks, but right. uh, <laughs> but it may may not bring you to your knees where you have to. And they're, they'll charge $50,000, $100,000. Right. There's even local governments who are having to pay ransoms. So I think that one of the opportunities on the flip side is that this perhaps gives shops a some bandwidth, some extra time to think about how they can improve their processes beyond the software and the technology. I'm sure almost everyone out there has some projects that you need a chunk of time to think about or some machine time to experiment with. And instead of bemoaning the fact that you're not making revenue, which of course is not what you want, but okay, is there something you can be doing with your time, with your folks' time, if you, if you have them on board, your time to make your company function more efficiently in the months and years to come. What do you think about that? What would you say are some low hanging fruit? Well, Jay, I, 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 I'm right with you on that. I, you know, I've sort of looked at it. That's back where I go back to let us let NTMA deal with the disruptions and you run your business. I want to be mm -hmm. dealing with this, with all this information on Corona. We're going to, we're going to get it down where you can, you know, it's readable to you while you run your business. And I do, I, I actually just wrote an article on about, you know, this gives us a chance to look at our businesses. How do we, you know, again, for some it's automation, some it's, mm. it, it's higher technology. It's uh, it, for some it's online. And I think, I think you're right. If, 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 if we can just, give people an opportunity not to have to spend all their time dealing with this crisis, deal with the crisis of your company and let us uh, from a, a larger a collective level work on the, the bigger pieces. But yeah, I think you're right. I think people, because I, you know, if this thing, not, not if, when this thing subsides and mm -hmm. we get back to some semblance of normal in our daily lives and our daily businesses, you know, uh, I, I think we would all say, it, we all feel somewhat confident that the economy could rebound relatively quickly. Um, or over time, it's going to rebound, considering we were at one of the strongest economic times when mm -hmm. this thing hit. And then I think also the thing that, that I think about daily is the idea that I think we're going to see a rush of, uh, of reshoring products back to the United States. And Harry Moser, the head of uh, of reshoring initiative. I've talked to Harry. Um, I, I think we're going to see more and more of that coming. I think we as American U.S. manufacturers need to prepare ourselves uh, for a potential onslaught of, of reshoring uh, parts and products coming back to the United States. And as such, we got it. We have to be as prepared um, uh, with efficiencies and, and productivity 
to be competitive as we can be. And now is that time to make sure mm. that you are positioned to be as competitive as possible to bring this product back to the United States. And, you know, I, I go back to the refound, uh, reshoring initiative. They have a total cost of uh, a, a, a total, excuse me, a total ownership cost uh, formula to show mm. you what the cost is from bringing something offshore to bringing it to the U.S. when you put in all the other associated costs with it. But I believe the U.S., number one, we have to be competitive to hope that it comes back. But I think now is the time to be positioning our companies, efficiency, productivity, lights out, you know, uh, additive manufacturing, things that mm -hmm. the newest and highest technology to be prepared for people. You know, we all want it to come back to the United States. We all have given... There's good reason to uh, a good reason and a good argument to bring products back, you know, a lot of products back to the United States. We on the manufacturing side, we manufacturers, and again, the small, medium to small manufacturers are the are the backbone of U.S. manufacturing. We have to be prepared. If that day is to come, we have to be prepared for it to come into our shops, and that's going to be us to be prepared to be as competitive and efficient and productive as possible. I totally agree with you, Roger, and I think we have to make it easy, as easy as possible for the product manufacturers, and a big part of that is cost, so we have to do the things that you were just talking about. I just put a blog out on LinkedIn, and I came across a term called economic distancing recently, and it really resonated with me. The core of it is that China... We, we know from a variety of ways, intellectual property and, and other ways that they have manipulated pricing through government subsidies has not been a fair trading partner, but they, they've created, in my mind, a loss of faith with the American people in not being forthcoming on this virus. And if you look back at the SARS one as well, and particularly what a lot of American corporations have found out is that their supply chain is very opaque and they don't have control over it. Things that they thought were in place were completely disrupted when China shut down. So it economically is going to make a lot of sense for corporations to do more manufacturing locally. And we were starting to already see this, but this is, I think, going to create a rush of business for NTMA members, custom part manufacturers, manufacturing in general. So in the short term, this is painful. There may be disruptions in cash flow but in the medium to long term, we as an industry really want to be prepared for what I see is a lot of business coming our way. Well, I, I agree with you. I'm, I'm quite familiar with your LinkedIn post. And if you'll go check, I was probably your first comment on your LinkedIn All right. post. So. <laughs> All right. Thank uh, you. Appreciate and, it. And, and I think you're right. I think we have to be prepared. We have to use our time wisely and be prepared. This is an opportunity. You can go home and watch Netflix, but maybe 
stay in the shop a little bit longer and really work through that that problem. I'm going to give a plug. One of my favorite podcast guests was Central Screw Products out in Michigan, and they are making basic parts for the heavy truck industry. And the two brothers who run the company were actually sourcing parts in China and they decided once they got married and had kids, they didn't want to live in China and they figured out how to do it in Michigan and be cost competitive. And they're doing some really, really cool stuff. They have some case studies on their website as well. The ingenuity that they have, it's not unique. There's so many of us out there who, if we put our minds to it, can figure out different ways to do things and be more efficient, be more cost competitive. I, I agree. We, we have several NTMA members across the country that have done that and have become mm -hmm. competitive internationally, and uh, and their operations are just phenomenal operations. Um, you know, as, as I, at one of the conferences of NTMA, you know, I think the kind of people we're going to look for in the future are going to be more engineering related. You mm -hmm. know, we're going to see have engineering type machinists, where yes, before sir. they were machinists. I think they're going to be more engineering related machinists is is what we're going to see in our businesses for the work for the future workforce and what we're doing so um yeah i think uh and one thing we did jay i didn't mention that that we ntma spearheaded a uh, a letter with other manufacturing trade associations and it was called an open letter to ceos and it was really touting that u.s manufacturing has always stepped up in time of crisis for our country whether it be war or what, and we again were ready to step up in mm. a time of crisis to disrupted supply chains, uh, et cetera. And we, as about five associations, joined together and said, "We, we associations representing, you know, a, a huge number of, of manufacturers in the U.S. are ready to step up." And it was sent to OEMs across the nation to some of our political leaders, stating that we're here. You know, some of the you know, some of the crisis that we face today, I think one of the challenges is much of what our government needs in the, in the, in the midst of this pandemic that we're in today, they need finished product. Uh, you mm -hmm. know, ideas yeah. of, a, of a ventilator, of a product of a finish this or a, a finish this. You know, what we manufacturers are is we're piece part manufacturers for the most part. And, you know, mm -hmm. we make things to print. We can make a ventilator. We just would put all the pieces, we would make all the pieces for somebody to put together a ventilator. And we also have members that do assembly, but you know, we're not, in most cases, not designers. And so a little of the disconnect to me with the government and, and US manufacturers is today, is that all their surveys are about what finished product can you provide? Mm. You know, and, and what is the SKU number of that product that you provide? <laughs> Versus, so there's a real sort of disconnect. So what this is forcing is it, it forces an NTMA type member to have to go to OEMs as a supplier to OEMs to be able to make piece parts that would support some of the things needed in the current medical area of the pandemic today. So it's, it's been very frustrating for many of our members who are ready to step up to find that avenue, how they connect into the supply chain and it's not going to be at the government level. It's got to be at the OEM level 
of those that uh, have committed to making some of these products that we can actually, you know, use our machining and uh, capabilities to make. Um, so true. Well, Roger, this has been a real pleasure. I am so grateful American manufacturers have you and the strong leadership skills you're bringing, the background that you have, the NTMA advocating for us in Washington right now is a big part of that. You gathering the information and filtering it and pushing it back, the right information out to us shop owners. Community is so important and really do think the NTMA is doing a important job in bringing shop owners together. Before we go, please give me again the soundbite of who the NTMA is. Jay, I, I really have appreciated our time together as well. And, and, uh, and I'm proud to, to represent NTMA. I'm proud to represent, you know, 1,200 U.S. manufacturers across the country. But again, what I would share people, if, if they're a privately held, entrepreneurial-based, family-owned business in the precision machining sector of, of the manufacturing industry, they need to be a part of NTMA. We are stronger together. And, and, and uh, again, networking with your industry peers, getting industry-specific information is invaluable to run in your businesses. And I believe it's only going to become more valuable as we move forward. Uh, you know, some could, you know, it's always questionable to question our value of an, being a part of a community. I think today that question should go away, the value of being a part of a community to survive. And so I would just encourage anybody that's in that, you know, if that describes your company, entrepreneurial, small business, you know, uh, privately held, you know, family business, don't go, what my advice is, don't go it alone. It's, it, don't go it alone. <laughs> totally, totally agree. And let's go together. And, and you know, you've been at a couple of my events and, and, and my motto to NTMA members and, and I, because I, I am one. I, I, you know, I was a member a lot longer than I've been president of this association, but I'm a lifelong member of a, net, a network of peers. And as I tell them today, it's us, it's we, it's together, it's team, and it's the future. That's what I'd leave you with today, Jay, and I so much appreciate you allowing me to uh, be a part of your program. Well, well said, Roger. Where can people find the NTMA on the internet. It's ntma.org. It's that simple, ntma.org. And I would also encourage people to go to, uh, with the, in the midst of the coronavirus, I would mm -hmm. encourage people to go to onevoiceinfo.org, and that will be the latest up-to-date industry-specific information um, by state, um, by daily, you know, uh, restrictions and 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 outlays on SBA loans, the you know stay-at-home orders, essential business facts. These are the facts that will affect small to medium-sized manufacturers. So I would encourage them to go to that website as well. And um, if you don't mind, I'll give my personal email address. I'd be happy. Sure. To yeah, to, please do. Want to contact me? It's it's R Atkins, A-T-K-I-N-S, at ntma.org. 
and I'd be happy to talk to anybody, help anybody in any way we can, because today I will tell you, it is about NTMA, but it's really about our industry. And to, to me, our arms are open wide for our industry today. And um, it's not all about our association. It's about the industry. And I'm here to represent the industry. And if I can help people and in any way, please contact us. I will put in my pitch, if you own a machining center, I really encourage you to check out the NTMA. As Roger said, the NTMA is you. It is a bunch of friendly, for the most part, shop owners who can support you in so many ways. My company, Rapid, didn't really start growing until I got involved in organizations and started learning from my peers and the experiences of others. Great conversation, Roger. Thanks again for your time. And for the listener, I hope those spindles are turning, those lasers are cutting. Stay strong. We're going to get through this, and we're going to be even stronger on the other side. Have a super day.